Overthinking It Podcast, episode 24. What's up? It is Matt Rather and the crew of Overthinking It. We have a massive, epic crew on the podcast tonight to wrap up a massive, epic week on the site, which has been Karate Kid Week. So let's get right to it, introducing the people. Uh, but a uh, little business first. We are always available to you at podcast at overthinkingit.com, or you can call the voicemail line, which is 20 eat log zero one. That's 203-285-6401. If you have a comment on anything that we say, uh, make sure to give your name and where you're calling from or emailing from. And uh, just right off the top, let me ask if you are getting this, um, we would love it if you would go on iTunes and rate this podcast very highly so that it is featured on iTunes and other people find out about it. Thank you, everyone who has rated us so far. Uh, we had some really good reviews on there last time I checked. So, yeah, let's go right into it. I want to introduce the uh, introduce the people who are here with us, as ever, Mr. Mark Lee. Token Asian man right here. Token Asian man. <laughs> I thought you were going to come on with, like, a stereotypical accent. Oh, that'll be later. Okay, got it. Hi. You should do the whole, you should <laughs> do the whole call. With a uh, with a stereotypical Asian accent, I should, you should wander through the the panoply of different Asian accents. And that was David Schechner speaking unbidden. <laughs> As is my ilk. <laughs> What's going on, Dave? Skyping in from uh, Cambridge Bean in the town. Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm not going to try and do a Boston accent though. I, I will do like offensive Asian accents though. <laughs> we got uh, we got Pete Fenzel also from Boston. How you doing, Pete? I am in Waltham, live from the Improv Boston Harold Knight holiday party, where I got a handheld Guitar Hero game with double-A batteries and the Yankee gift swap, and I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Matt? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. I did, not get that, I did not get that awesome Christmas gift. Pete, it's actually did called you? a Red Sox swap up here. Uh, that's not what I thought. That's not what I yes. thought. I saw Yankee <laughs> swapping going on. There Those was a bastards. variety. There was a boogie board with a tiger on it. It was crazy. That's incredible. Boogie boards? God, do people still use those? I thought the kids had moved on to something else, like heroin. Well, they sell them at thrift stores, apparently, for less than the $20 limit. So rock and roll. Wow. And, uh, and Belinky also is with us. Yeah, man. Let me ask you a quick question. Why do they call it Beantown? So, uh, for Boston Baked Beans? beans. Used to be, yeah, you go, Matt. You go, Dave. You go, Dave. Oh, uh, well, no, that's pretty much it. It's uh, Boston Baked Beans. We are a town whose rich, uh, like, woven thread in American history can be summarized in baked beans. But, I mean, is any kind of baked beans Boston baked beans, or is it a special method for baking beans? I think it's uh, baked—I think there's a special recipe for it, but, you know, it might be the sort of thing that has to be done from horseback. It, it does seem like kind of a random nickname, you know, like like maybe there are more interesting things that Boss is responsible for that you could have been named after. I to some yeah. extent. Uh, I mean let let me let me make my mark on the place and we'll see what we can do. All right. So anyway, so though <laughs> so though Belinky and I are in the same town, we are in two different locations because he came up <laughs> uh, he came up for the weekend to play video games. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I own the video game system. I came up here specifically to play video games with my girlfriend. That is a that is a solid relationship. I gotta yeah, say, no, I'm very I'm very excited about this. That like I have somebody who says like bring your video game system here so we can like spend an entire weekend playing them. Uh, we suck, by the way. That that uh, we've been playing Gears of War two like all day, and aliens have cut us in half with a chainsaw no less than like two dozen times. Do you play? Do you play against each other, or do you play on the same team? We play on the same it? team. Basically, basically, we try to like um, help each other when we like we get stuck in like corners and are unable to get out. Oh, yeah. We're sort of at that that infantile stage of Gears of War two mastery. That's exciting. Okay, well then, okay, so we have uh, all these guys from the site. It's wonderful to have everyone, but there is a special guest tonight who is uh, the, like, as far as I know, the best expert on the Karate Kid. uh, I don't know about the whole franchise, but at least the first Karate Kid film, and uh, that is Al who is a college pal of ours and who is calling in from Atlanta. Al, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm still not sure how you guys got my number, but um more than <laughs> willing and happy to join you guys this evening. Thank you. And if I sound I a little groggy... I need a CD bathroom stall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, you too. I spent the last two days in New Orleans, so, um, you know, for the first time ever, so... And are you watching, Al, are you watching a sporting contest of some kind yeah, while you're talking? A, there is a, because you guys know nothing about sports ever and still don't. Um, the Giants-Cowboys game is on right now, and uh, so if I do make any sort of exclamations during the podcast, I apologize. It's probably because Eli Manning threw it out of bounds um, or, you know, something stupid like that. Eli Manning, I've heard of him. <laughs> Okay, well, we will get to Karate Kid in just a second because we want to wrap up Karate Kid Week, which has been really an epic experience on the blog. But I didn't want to let this go by without mentioning there are probably some new subscribers and new downloaders of the podcast uh, now because we had a huge traffic spike this weekend with the incredible success of Belinky's latest piece of video performance art. I don't even know what to call it, a video art of postmodern Bricko Lodge, uh, <laughs> you know, that was the uh, 40 inspirational speeches in two minutes video, which when I checked earlier today was doing better than a quarter million uh, views on YouTube, had um, uh, was linked from IMDb. Of course, the IMDb traffic went right to the YouTube page and not to the blog, but then Lifehacker saw it, and Lifehacker, which is like a top 10 blog on the internet linked to overthinking it, you know, dramatically affecting our Google page rank and uh, also flooding visitors in who are all appreciative of the video because it is indeed brilliant. So Matt, congratulations to you. Uh, let's get a thank, round of applause for Blake. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> I mean, no, the, other nine are, the other nine are porn sites, so that's a big deal that Lifehacker yeah. in the top 10 really. You know what? They're <laughs> all tech blogs. Like the top 10 are all geek technology stuff. Oh, actually, number one is the Huffington just, Post, and the rest of them are all. And this yeah. is by, actually, this ranking is by Technorati, so maybe there are other rankings that have it a different way. But, you know, well, that... So, like, my, my, favorite, my favorite moment of the last couple of days was when Current TV ran this as, like, one of their viral videos of the week. And, like, I, I think I'm the last person on the planet who, A, knows about Current TV, and B, actually watches it on a TV. But it meant that, like, 
there was about a second and a half of, of footage that Matt had spliced together that was like playing on my TV, which was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that, that's definitely a landmark. Um, and I, well, I, I mean, honestly, like you frequently send me videotapes, but I didn't need the VCR or or any other form of technology to get it on the TV. So Matt, are you now that you're internet famous? Are you gonna like? Are you gonna leave us all behind? Are you gonna leave the old neighborhood and and head on? I mean, Hollywood must be calling you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely. I've already got deals on the table from creative artists and you know United artists, and I just really need to decide uh, which one is giving me more points off the back end before I you know actually make the five picture deal. Yeah, um, points points off the back end is one of my favorite porn movies. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, I, it's really it's really nice to have that many people watch a video it's like you know you you hope that when you're making it but you don't really expect it to happen because the internet is so fluky i actually made a video uh a while ago that i i was convinced would be like the hugest thing ever where i just had uh the song kiss from a rose by seal sung by an actual seal um and i was i was somehow i don't know why i was so convinced but like i really felt that this was going to be like you know bigger than chocolate rain and it wasn't um but but in, in this case i actually wasn't my, my my internet popularity barometer wasn't so off um yeah and it's not and honestly i think i think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that it is kind of a depressing time in america they're like you know, I'm not, I'm not, being, I'm not being sarcastic. That I think like people are feeling a little bit anxious and feeling a little bit sort of gloomy this holiday season. You know, like spending is way down. Uh, there's like really scary headlines in the paper all the time, and it's I don't know. It's 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 nice to have this sort of like concentrated heroin esque kit of schmaltz. It is. It's definitely the crack cocaine. You definitely cooked those videos up. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, distilled their essence down into a fine residue, which you yeah, then, the- you know, <laughs> scraped out of a spoon and smoked. Yeah, the, the, the trip is the best part, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations to you, and it's brought great attention to the blog. And uh, if you are a new listener to the podcast, welcome. This is a weekly show. We take popular culture way too seriously. We subject it to a level of scrutiny, which it probably doesn't deserve uh so we like but the to karate the karate kid does deserve it. right hey that was a great segue oh thank you i <laughs> i'm usually the guy who has to do that but you're great yeah the karate kid does i was surprised let me just start our conversation by saying this i was surprised that most of our conversation this week on the blog in the comments uh thanks to everyone who commented you know uh was about miyagi and wasn't really about the central character of the movie, the I mean, or the protagonist of the movie, or his struggle to win the All Valley Karate Tournament and yeah. the chaste affections of who is it, Elizabeth Shue? That's Shue. Yeah. You, yeah. you mean the Cobra Kai, right? <laughs> Alley with an eye. Alley with an eye. Yeah. So you know, is it like is is it really Miyagi who is the uh, who is the most uh, compelling character in the show. Mark, why don't you weigh in here? Um, well, just from my perspective, obviously I wrote about you know Mr. Miyagi and the subject of race and racial stereotypes because it was a subject that was very close to me and it's something that I'd grown up with. Um, and don't forget that Mr. Miyagi, uh, not Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita won, uh, not won, was nominated for an Academy Award for this performance. It's a great performance and that's why it's so captivating. Uh, that's at least my take on that. Sure. 
He, um, you know, uh, we had a guest post today, guest poster on the blog, and we have these new people who are kind of auditioning for spots on the site. So, you know, if you leave comments for them, tell us what you think of him, um, because you might be hearing a lot more of, uh, of someone if we, uh, if we think it's good and we, you know, have him on the blog, who, uh, who wrote about Miyagi as a type of Yoda. As if there are like many different kinds of Yoda. I haven't had a chance to check out the site, but is there like is there like blue Yoda who has the power of wind, and like red Yoda that has the power of fire? And it's like you mix the different kinds of Yodas, you get like super Yoda that you can bring into the dark world with you to fight Ganondorf. Is that how it works? Or yeah, Ganon, sorry. Exactly. Exactly. I was, exactly I was thinking like more that. like you know out on the town Yoda with pump action heels. And- <laughs> There's like that black Yoda that nobody wants. Your citizen Yoda with glasses. Of course, of course, Malibu Yoda is my favorite with the convertible. (laughs) (laughs) There was, um, not to get too far off on a a digression, but I was listening to a woman talk about her Barbies this weekend. When she was younger, she had Barbies, and she had, like, Barbie had a camper. And it was, like, very important to her to buy the Barbie camper. And I was like, wait, that's not glamorous at all. That's not, like, 90210 Gossip Girl cool at all that's like that's like britney spears barbie that's like white trash barbie in the camper so so camper camper is code for trailer right the barbie had a trailer yeah i mean i guess a camper is a trailer i guess if it weren't a trailer it would be an rv or a winnebago right well winnebago is a brand of rv yeah yeah that's true do you think winnebago has become generic i guess so yeah maybe are you asking if they've sold out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, is Winnebago staying true to the music, or is Winnebago totally gone corporate? Well, it's yeah. I mean, is it like is it like Kleenex? What did they call it in Spaceball? Oh, they called it a Winnebago in Spaceballs. It, was the so it actually, and- yeah, it had the Winnebago logo on it in Spaceballs. Product placement. I guess so. Well, do you, think, do you think Winnebago paid to be in Spaceballs, or do you think they just sort of picked the? I mean, I, I, I hope guess they paid a probably... shitload of money. I hope this was their strategy. They're like, all right, guys, I got an idea. It's going to sound crazy at first, but you guys got to get on board with it. There's this movie. It's going to recycle a lot of the jokes from Blazing Saddles, but it's going to go huge, and no one's going to remember that it's the same thing all over again with space people. We got John Candy, we got Bill Pullman on board, and everything he touches turns to gold. So let's make this happen. Except, like, yeah, it was it. like it was like, like Blazing Saddles, except with the central joke of Blazing Saddles, which is that he is an African American. Is that really the central joke of Blazing Saddles, or is uh-huh. that just like one out of many that's, running that's, gags? I mean, I'd say no, racial humor was like the point. engine that drove it. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like it's the sheriff, but he's black. That was the that was the premise of that movie. It, it's like ninety. It's like ninety five percent, you know, dark mirror on the racial tensions of America, and five percent dudes punching horses. I mean, I disagree. Yeah. I think it's it's like a vaudeville Mel Brooks movie, and that's sort of part of the overarching like idea behind the movie, but I'd say the central joke in Blazing Saddles is like a sticky cowboy movie, and that the fact that he's black is like a central point in the plot, but it's not the reason that it's funny. It's not like about him being black, and like 80% of the jokes don't have anything to do with him being I don't black, know, I even say. like when Madeline Kahn comes out, and like, it's twoo, it's twoo, and, uh... <laughs> And there's that there's that great cut line from it, right? The, so the movie's actually based on a short novella called Tex X, um, and and a lot of the stuff that was like even racier than than what was available. I don't know what was that like seventy six, seventy seven. I don't know when when Blazing Saddles came out. Um, 
maybe even earlier, it's the 60s, ah, whatever. Um, like, a, a lot of the stuff that was really pushing the envelope, they, they cut out. So there's that moment where Madeline Kahn's like, it's true, it's true. He has this line in response, it's like, it may be true, baby, but you're sucking on my elbow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And they had to cut that out? They had to cut that out, yeah. Aww. That's good. That's a, well, a this great is, line. But. So this is what Mark hates, right? That we are way the hell off from our original target, isn't it? I would say hate. Hate is such a strong word. We got, we got people um, are very precise. They're very mathematical. They want you to yeah. stay on target. <laughs> are, you, do you, uh, are you missing a violin lesson, Mark? Or? <laughs> oh, you're right. Okay. Uh, guys, guys, I gotta go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. oh, Mrs. Lee, can Mark come out to play? <laughs> no, I gotta practice with damn violin. <laughs> did you? Did you have? Did Did you have parents who made you take the violin? Oh yeah, you play the cello. Hello, cello. Oh hey, I was all. I was such a freaking Asian stereotype. You guys, you guys should know this. Um, I was in the freaking orchestra. I was not like, like you know, the math team, and, and you know, you were a mathlete. Uh, mathlete, yeah, um, and. And as I wrote about on the blog, people, you know, came up to me and said, wax off, wax off. As if- so really? So they didn't know that you were Korean and not Japanese? Oh, what's the difference? Come on. <laughs> well, that's a good point. You raised an excellent point there. Yeah, let's actually talk about that. What is the difference? <laughs> are, they, are they different countries or what? <laughs> you know, something like that. Kind of like, you know, North and South Dakota. It's exactly. Yeah, they're North. very different. Yeah, no, <laughs> extremely <laughs> different. Like out there. Okay, let's, let me, very different. Let me try to let me try to focus the conversation on Asian Americans for a moment here, and then we can go, go off to other things. Something I thought about uh, after I wrote the the article and read the other articles is that uh, so the movie set in Los Angeles, right? Yep. Yeah. And yet, Mr. Pasadena, Miyagi, Pasadena, Pasadena, it's set, it's set the valley. So, regardless, this, Mr. Well, Miyagi, no, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no, Pasadena is no, no. not the valley. <laughs> and Al's Al's got to jump in here because the Al is, is set. In the glorious San Fernando Valley community of Reseda, ah, which is important because Reseda is probably the lamest place in the San Fernando Valley. What makes it so lame, though? Uh, well, you know, the San Fernando Valley is a wonderful place and has served as America's uh, suburban community in so many different movies. This is one of the movies that actually decided to portray it as the San Fernando Valley instead of, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, or, you know, somewhere in Florida. So, but Reseda is just the epitome of uh, 1960s, uh, lots of apartment complexes, tons of mini malls. You ever need your dry cleaning done or some donuts? Plenty of places to do it in Reseda. So it's kind of important that when Daniel moves out to, to California, he doesn't move to uh, you know, our, our illustrious host's beautiful hometown of Ritzy, Santa Monica, or even to the hills of Encino, where all the other kids are from. But What's up, Santa Monica? Reseda. So he goes, uh, like, he's like, he goes from, like, New Jersey to the New Jersey of the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, you could have actually an excellent analogy, Dave. When he goes from Newark to Reseda, it's really... Um, it's a lateral move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean- let me address what I was. And it's 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 evidenced by the fact that when he does go to pick up Allie for his date, and Allie's date assumes that Allie's dad assumes that he lives in Encino, you know, which is a very nice uh, in the hills community in the San Fernando Valley. Right. And he goes, uh, no, yeah, no, I live in like Reseda, 
uh, and the the look on Allie's dad's face there is priceless. And then just he to, proceeds to kick the brick off their porch uh, and destroying destroying it in the hoodlum manner that somebody from Reseda might. Anyway, I digress. That's well, Al. You are from not my hometown of Tony and Ritzy Santa Monica. You are from the glorious community of Burbank, California. That's right. The the crown jewel of the San Fernando Valley, as we like to say. Well, it's Burbank it's is- home of Warner Brothers, of uh, Disney Studios, uh, Universal Studios is spitting distance from Burbank. I mean, everything is in Burbank. The whole goddamn movie industry is in there. Burbank. Yeah, and, it, and actually there were a couple scenes uh, in some of the later Karate Kid uh, films that were actually filmed. In. But Burbank's a weird place to grow up, and not without getting on too much of a tangent, but... Again, so much of my hometown stood in for other places in the country. Um, it's it's not uncommon for uh, the local, uh, just for a quick example, the local uh, motel, the Safari Inn that's a block away from where I grew up. Uh, anytime somebody stays in kind of a cheesy roadside motel, they're generally staying at the Safari Inn. Um, so, but it was nice to see a movie set in the San Fernando Valley about the San Fernando Valley. Of course, there was Valley Girl. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High might as well have been in the San Fernando. Encino Man. Encino Man, yeah. And, and of course Encino Man. How could I forget? Really? A, a <laughs> There's also actually like parts of Clueless, or at least one part of Clueless took place in the valley? But in the typical derogatory fashion, because you and your ilk, Matt, you know, you, the <laughs> From the west side, yeah. Side, from the west side and the other side of the hill, really the only purpose they have for the valley is they drive over the hill to go to work, they do their job, and then they get the hell out. Right. Uh, those of us who grew up there see it a little bit differently, so that's why you see often uh, the valley referred to in such a negative way. Probably best evidenced by Saved by the Bell, where Bayside was always going up against valley, and all the people from Valley High were lame, and you know, even though they did tape Saved by the Bell in Burbank. Well, they do. I mean, the whole movie industry is in Burbank. But, like, it's not... It does. It makes sense because the valley is really... We should explain that, like, the Santa Monica Mountains go uh, sort of turn east-west and separate the Los Angeles Basin, which contains Santa Monica, West Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, Hollywood, uh, Brentwood, home of O.J. Simpson, you know, Pacific Palisades, Malibu, and... Place, you know, places like that from the San Fernando Valley to the north, and they become the Hollywood Hills uh, at their you know easternmost edge. And so there are two sort of thoroughfares in. One is the 405 freeway running north, and the other is uh, U.S. Highway 101. Just to like really overthink this. And Al lived over in the east, right? Didn't you like on the five or something? Yeah, Burbank, no, so yeah. Burbank's over in the east, but I think it's very important. This is a major cultural divide in Los Angeles, right? And then within the valley, and this is important to the Karate Kid, you have a secondary cultural divide in that there's the flats of the valley, the Reseda's, the Van Nuys. Uh, Panorama City that are actually really down in in the Valley Valley and not right, like that are looking in the Valley that it really was America's first suburb and there's actually been a lot of sort of urban history study of the San Fernando Valley because so much of it exploded in the uh, World War II boom because of the aerospace industry and then in the fifties really what was a bunch of farmland turned into what was the model for suburbs around the country. Uh, Orange Grove exploded and. Yes, there's pretty much an orange tree in everyone's backyard. Actually, Al, here's a movie that features the valley, Chinatown. True. You know, back when it was all orange groves. 
That's right. And then and then the water came and they were able to uh or as as we like to say in SoCal, we stole NoCal's water. Right. We're able to uh, support the population. <laughs> but just within the valley, and again, it's important to the film, you have sort of the flatlanders, but then you have folks in the hills, and, and there's important real estate designation in, in the valley that if you're above Ventura, which means yeah. you're back up into the hills above Ventura Boulevard, and that's communities like um, Studio City, up into Laurel Canyon, Sherman Oaks, and, of course, the aforementioned Encino, Tarzana. And those are really nice areas also home to a lot of celebrities, but that divide is pretty... I guess, you know, Matt, you'd probably agree with me. In L.A., you know you've made it when you live in the hills. Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, so, or north of Montana in Santa Monica and Brentwood. Let yeah, me, let me jump I back see. in here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Schechner, typed, Schechner typed something into our Google Map, into our, our uh, Skype chat, which was, we are now subjecting Google Maps to the level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. <laughs> this, is, this is good background. Seriously, this is a good question for the back question, background for the question I'm going to ask uh, for you uh, people who are knowledgeable about California in this particular community. Uh, where are the Japanese-American, where is the Japanese-American community? Is it realistic that uh, Mr. Miyagi would be the sole outpost of Japanese-America in this community? Because, you know, my knowledge of California is that, there, you know, that there's a huge Japanese-American community there. So why is Mr. Well, Miyagi it, it wouldn't surprise me in Reseda, right? When I think about where I would go to, to for, uh, for, of course, there are, there are Asians, Americans scattered throughout Southern California. I mean, it is a huge population. Of all, right, of all... Uh, of, of, yeah. of all uh, different countries and things like that, because the whole Pacific right. Rim, it's like the first port of call, right. you know, as you come to America. Right. But it, again, the valley for a long time, it's become far less so, but especially uh, where the movie takes place was a pretty lily white area for a long time. And then there was a large, uh, of course, the Hispanic population has grown and grown and grown. But uh, again, the areas like Encino, um, where the high school seems to be set, uh, is is a pretty predominantly affluent uh, Caucasian area. Wait, can I can I jump in with a geography question? That uh, how is it that that Daniel is going to high school with Thank Allie you. if Allie's if Allie's from a different town? Thank you, Matt. That's the, one of the mysteries I think a lot of us wonder because the Encino. Uh, the high school that he's in is predominantly the kids from the Hill, right? The rich kids. Uh, it would probably be, in my mind, set on something similar to a Taft High School in Tarzana, which is a pretty um, pretty well-off high school. In the- I love this fucking there podcast. Goes- I love it so much. There must be a... Be a magic high school right on the border of uh, Encino and Reseda. Um, and if you want to get really into it, uh, they've used an old elementary school, uh, actually, or I believe an old middle school that was no longer in use is the setting for, for the high school. But yeah, it's, it's one of those, uh, uh you know, a little bit of fictional license there. That's right. for sure. Cause it would have had to have been close enough for, uh, for Daniel to bike to as well. That was his mode of transportation. Exactly. Oh, that's a good point. Not, which would not be cool in the San Fernando Valley because it's all about what car you drive or anywhere in Los Angeles because it's a car yeah. culture or so, yeah, suburbia anywhere with the car, car culture. Yeah. But even, sure, even Los Angeles, even about, the, in New York, it's all about how cool you, the, uh, the subway train that you hijacked uh, to, to school is. I guess in, in like in LA, like even, 
in the most in the densest parts of like downtown Los Angeles or oh I don't know Al help me out here something like that you still would like you would uh drive the car to lunch even if lunch was a block away you know and you'd probably valet park both places Maybe you would. Again, if you lived on if you lived on the hoity toity west side, but yeah, you could afford lunch. <laughs> it's a predominantly it's it's a predominantly driving culture. How lame is it when Daniel's mom has to take him to pick up Allie on their date? Right. You know? and then they're at the golf and stuff. Love your car, Mrs. Larusso. I mean, that is just absolutely mortifying and terrible for, and that's why for those of us who grew up there. It just it hits home because if you were like me and you're the only car you could afford when you were in high school is an 87 Ford Tempo two-door that your aunt used to drive and everybody's pulling into the school parking lot and, you know, brand new Suburbans, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't help the ego, that's for sure. I drove, Al, I drove, my, uh, I drove my Oldsmobile to Crossroads every day. Hey, hey Al, you know, what, you, know, you know what else doesn't help the ego? Wax on, wax off. <laughs> I love me. Are you, are you, are you finished with our? Away from it. Are you finished with our laundry already, Mark? <laughs> oh, 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 man, we're really oh. hammering him. You guys are oh, really hammering the guy. <laughs> so, Pete, I mean, I yeah, Mark, Mark, just. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk about. But I mean, Mark, I think you bring an interesting point because also a lot of things that people don't know is people assume Pat Morita's, you know. Uh, straight from Okinawa, Pat Morita grew up in California. He did not have a Japanese. He did. Oh, I should oh. say he did not have a Japanese accent. He affected that for the movie. Oh yeah, I, I found that out in my research for the article that I wrote on the blog. You should totally check it out. For you two, <laughs> oh, okay, Pete, we gotta go. I think we gotta go to Pete because he's been patient. And Pete, you stuck up for Mr. Miyagi, uh, the much maligned. Mr. Miyagi. And so can you just encapsulate the point that you made in your post earlier this week? Sure. My point is this. The Karate Kid is a movie about a kid from out of town who comes to a community where everybody else is recognized as part of the group, and he's an outsider, right? And he's confronted with this group of people they know are kind of bad, that are very exclusive. It's about being the other. And it's about how he then finds another guy who is also the other, who's also an outsider, and who he scorns for being an outsider at first, but then he comes to recognize the courage and the strength and, and the, the admirable qualities of this person and um, comes to recognize that he shouldn't look for approval to the conformists and to the mainstream people. He should look within himself for the strength that he has, and he should look to the strength of the people around him. And because it's a movie about finding other people who are outside the mainstream, it is not particularly offensive that Pat Morita is is creating the sense of the other in an exaggerated way. Because if Pat Marino were just like a random guy at the strip mall who like acted just like everybody else, then the movie wouldn't have any goddamn point. He would just be hanging out with some random old guy. But because it's because he's exotic. It's because he has this background that isn't acceptable to the same people that Daniel can't get approval from. That's how the movie functions. And that's like the, the moral that it tells and the force behind its narrative. So I, although I understand, and I think there's a huge perspective issue here between Asian-Americans and non-Asian-Americans, where Asian-Americans, pretty much as a rule I've found, have experienced the, the, the aftermath of the popular culture's interpretation of Miyagi as the other, which is heavily ironic. Um, 
And people who aren't are like, well, what's the big deal? I always just thought he was cool. You know, and I think that that's one of the interesting things and why I wrote that post originally was this disparity. Like, white people don't really understand it. Um, and and, that's, and that's, that's sort of my whole take in a nutshell. You white people, you. Oh, no. Fensel, I, I was totally with you in that, you know, that when you look at the movie and it's as it is, right, the story that it portrays, it is not offensive. Um, and some, someone started pointing this out on the blog that, on the comments, that Mr. Miyagi, um, you know, he's like, hey, that's totally realistic. You know, he talks just like my grandparents. And that's yes. true. Hell, Mr. Miyagi speaks English better than uh, my late grandfather and my, and my uh, grandmothers uh, spoke, which is to say none at all. And they were both, yes. both all of them were living in the United States. Um, it's totally realistic. Um, my point with the my writing and sharing my experience was exactly as you said, Fenzel, how um, the character of Miyagi got translated out and dis- dispels, dispersed into the popular culture. And that is that that that's still I'm trying to wrap my head around how you know a movie which portrays Mr. Miyagi positively and you know like you said has a very positive message about you know people from the other finding their place. How that all got perverted into wax on wax off. Ha, 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 ha. Well, I think it's because the other isn't what people really like. Like, people don't identify with that message that it's okay to not be the, the, cent- the central conformist people. And, you know, they, their incapability of really accepting that. I mean, even people who claim that they're nonconformists derive a lot of their self-worth from the groups that say that they're nonconformists, yeah. right? Like, it's one of the essential ironies of alternative culture. Well, that's, so, like, that's a yeah, people, and they made a yeah. South Park about it. I mean, they make South Parks about yeah. most things these days, but, like, yeah. when... Uh, I forget who it was. It's either Stan or Kyle who joins the goths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, all those people are little Cobra Kai, is what they are. And they say they like the Karate Kid, but really, they're riding their mopeds and hanging out with the blonde friends. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're part of the problem. That's a, you know, Pete, I mean, that's a, like, this, not to get all Jacques Derrida on you or anything, but that's a point that, like, you, you essentially are part of the mass culture when you define yourself in opposition to the mass culture, because everything you do is in reference to that. Yeah, no, definitely. That's the center of gravity. That's what defines you. It seems unlikely that you're going to be able to be independent of it. Yeah. So I know Matt had a question about uh, an automotive question. So, Matt, fire. Well, you know, I was watching the movie again recently, and, and towards the end, um, Miyagi gives Daniel a birthday present, which is one of the classic cars that he has been waxing on and waxing off. And, and Daniel acts like this is Dude, like that the most dirty amazing when, when you say it that way. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I suppose if if you want it to sound dirty, it does. But waxing is a legitimate thing to do to cars. Okay. And, uh, well, that, you know, that, hey, be, hey Matt, I say it would be it would be dirty not to wax such a car. Wax off? <laughs> well, you have to wash the car before you wax it, and you have to let it dry. Daniel, wax bit. off. <laughs> but anyway, my point is, like, so Daniel, Daniel acts like this is, like, the most amazing thing ever. But I was looking at the car. I actually checked it online. That's a 1950 bright yellow Chevrolet. So here's my question to Al. Is that a car that you would have liked to have driven to school in when you were, like, in high school? Dude, anything is cooler than a 1987 Ford Tempo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I was actually... I was actually online looking up a lot of the words that Pete was using in his last little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, forgive me. I thought we were just going to talk about exits off the four hundred five freeway somewhere. <laughs> right, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it's. It's. It just you know goes to show that you know here's 
another one of Miyagi's, you know, secret powers is he happens to have a, a really awesome, you know, old school 1950s car. You know? <laughs> Wait, it's the Daniel, the Daniel can apparently drive without having registered it or what's, you know, or, you know, any insurance whatsoever, but he's from Reseda. He's a rebel. That's right. Of course, it didn't really matter when he didn't have a license and they drove to the dojo. So, right. Um, yeah, no, but it's, again, it's what the wild west out there. That's the 84. But anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it, in, a, in a weird way, you're almost a little sad because, you know, it's all of a sudden like Allie's like, oh, you have a cool car now. And, um, let's, uh, you know, let me be your date to the All Valley Karate Championship and make out with you by the water slide. Yeah. Uh, but still, you can't help but feel good for Daniel when he rolls up in, in that car with that ridiculous red jacket on. <laughs> well, that's actually yeah, that's back, a related question about Miyagi that, that has always sort of like interested me. Miyagi clearly has a fair amount of money, right? He has a beautiful house and a bunch of classic cars. And yet, like, you know, he's working as a, as a handyman, and, it, and it's never established where all the money comes from. I mean, does I anyone... But I think you get the sense cool. that he probably doesn't spend his money on anything, right? I mean, it's just him that, and his... That he, just, his, he just saves really carefully. Compound, right, and he, spends, and he spends very little money on clothes, as evidenced by how much he spends on his belt at JCPenney. So, um, <laughs> you know... Wait a minute, so hang on. Ahead, are you guys Mark. trying to say that? Are you guys trying to say that Asians are cheap? <laughs> no, no, hey, I am not offended. No, no bombarding the cheap stereotypes, boy. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> See, Dave, we have something to be uh, feel some solidarity about. Our we're, also, we're good at math, all of us. Oh, we're so good at math. <laughs> we fucking rule at math. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought that like Miyagi, that it was clear that he had the money and that he was doing the handyman work. Sort of the same way he was doing the the his hobby with the bonsai trees that it was sort of cathartic to him and therapeutic that he didn't he didn't need the job as a handyman he just sort of did odd jobs because he liked to putter. Yeah, that could be an interesting theory. But again, I just you know he has no family anymore. As evidence, you know, he lost his wife and and their daughter uh, when he was overseas in the war, um, so he hasn't had any real uh, need. Uh, he hasn't had to support any kids or anything like that. So. Um, I guess is he probably, probably just saved a lot of it. Yeah. And well, he's actually, really a great handy. Well, let me handy ask you like a related for. question is that do you feel that Mr. Miyagi has had any close friends since the mid nineteen forties? Um, well, see here's the problem is this is where you have to you know, do you do you consider that the fourth karate kid took place or not? <laughs> <laughs> well did because, have you seen the fourth karate kid? I have, and it's you know as a as a Karate Kid fan. I mean, granted, two and three have their issues, um, but you know they stay pretty true to the story. Um, Alice is what, is the fourth one the next Karate Kid? Yes, yes, with That's the, with, with, the Hillary, with Hillary Swank. Yes, yes. Um, and he he goes to teach her karate because he was very good friends with her dad. Uh, when they were in the service together, which sort of destroys the whole Miyagi as loner uh, myth, never taught karate to anybody else myth, um, lots of things that you know were held dear and near and true and created a lot of the mystery uh, to the character that made him so enjoyable uh, as part of the story in the first one. So if you don't think the fourth movie happened, which uh, most infamously Bill Simmons from ESPN.com maintained, then no, he's always been a loner. 
and Daniel, you know, as as, uh, as Pete puts so eloquently, Daniel walks into his life and is just as much a friend to him as Miyagi is uh, a teacher to him. All right. I mean, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that they, they did exploit the character a little more in the next Karate Kid, because I, I do think it's cool that, like, you can imagine your own Miyagi stories of, like, what he did during the 1950s, Miyagi at Woodstock, how Miyagi's, you know, caused Watergate to happen, you know, stuff like that. I'm the only <laughs> yeah, one. No, I think he was mostly working on that deck in the backyard, so... <laughs> Oh god. Another goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Because I was imagining, you know, maybe Mr. Miyagi had a Japanese American community to hang out with. Um so, you know, he got to I don't know, do Japanese stuff and speak Japanese with people that he was comfortable with, so he didn't have to be the other all the time. Um but that might not have been realistic of considering that, you know, he is kind of the loner and apparently in It would have required a trip down the one oh one into little Tokyo, which is sort of near the intersection of the one oh one and the one ten freeways in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah, but also, you know, not to get into the geography thing, but, you know, Little Tokyo is sort of, to, you know, there's not actually that many Japanese people that live there, or, you know, they're really spread out throughout the basin. But I do think it more it's more evidenced by, again, I think, you know, and, and this is a credit to the screenwriters and to, and to the director, the great John G. Alvinson, um, you know, really a lot of him is defined by that scene where he shows up uh, where Daniel shows up and Mr. Miyagi is drunk and he's mourning his, his dead wife and daughter. I don't think he ever really recovered from that. And, again, Daniel coming into his life is the really the first opportunity for him to have somebody that he can uh, relate to uh, and connect with. Um, that's a, that's a very lonely 40 years that he spent after the war then. Oy. Yep. But I, I, that would be my uh, surmising of that character. Moving along now, uh, so there's been for about a month a rumor that Will Smith is going to produce a remake of the Karate Kid movie with his son, Jaden. And uh, word came out yesterday that because of the participation of Chinese financiers, they are going to set the film not in America, in any part of America, Valley or otherwise, but in China. And that instead of karate, he will be learning the Chinese martial art of, and I'm sorry, I'm going to mangle the pronunciation, but Ken Po, uh, which is a predecessor to karate and is, uh, is Chinese rather than Japanese, though, as we've established before, uh, really, they're all the same. Right, Mark? All, all same. All the same. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Wait, so what, what's it going to be called? Well, that's the thing. Like, this is so. This was my post on Saturday. Like, I said, can you even call it the Karate Kid anymore? You call it no, Kung well, Fu? You kid? definitely can't call it the Karate Kid. The Chinese financiers would not allow it to be called the Karate Kid. Well, presumably. right, and this is like, what the hell? It's going to be a. It's you know, it's like rebooting the franchise, I guess. But it does not seem good. I don't know. This is like ominous. This is bad. <laughs> There was an also a rumor apparently that Jackie Chan might take on the role of of, uh, of the of the kung, of the instructor of Miyagi the mob. I would yeah, go, yeah I, I, heard, I would. I heard either Chan or, or Stephen Chow. Stephen actually. Chow would be the other choice who's obvious. But there, you know, Pat Morita was an actor of you know many credits and some range. He had done like a lot of different things and was a fine actor. Both Stephen Chow and Jackie Chan, though I love them both, are not. 
you know, aren't like dramatic actors, you know, and aren't that like older sort of semi-tragic mentor figure who is redeemed through uh, his protege. You know, I could actually see Stephen Chow pulling it off. I think he's got more of an expressive range in the sort of stuff that he does than um, than Jackie, who's really Jackie Chan effectively plays the same character in every single movie, and uh, and that well, character doesn't have a lot of range. Yeah, I mean, I just my whole thing with remakes in general is whatever, right? I mean, I just my gut would be this is probably a ninety minute, you know, more kid driven vehicle. That's gonna. Yeah, how, how old gonna, is Jaden Smith? Jaden Smith's gotta be like ten, he's right? Pr- he's pretty. He's pretty young. I mean, say what you want about the Karate Kid. It gets, you know, a lot of people like to pass it off as sort of this, you know, cheesy '80s movie because of the karate themes and you know, you know, Daniel and you know, beating up the bad guys. But you know, the Karate Kid was directed by John Alvinson, who directed Rocky. Right, another director. It clocks in at over two hours. It's not a you know, 90-minute little sweep. It's got some a- actors, you know, someone like Elizabeth Shue, who went on to do really good things. Um, you know, it's, 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 there's a, and it was nominated for more than one Academy Award, including, like uh, Mark mentioned, uh, Pat Marina for Best Supporting Actor. So, you know, I, people love it as a part of 80s Kish, but it wasn't, you know, it was a pretty, pretty dynamite film on a lot of levels from a serious uh uh, filmmaking standpoint, so I just you know you hate to see it. I just feel like it'll be turned into, you know, another uh, you know tie-in merchandising sort of push for for you know if this is the vehicle to launch Will Smith's son career, so be it. But you know it'll be hard to replicate any of the the, the true emotion that happened in the first film there. I mean, they have no business like marketing it as a as a remake of the Karate Kid. You know, I mean, it's not going to be. It's not going to be set in the United States. It's not going to involve karate. I mean, yes, it's going to have a boy, and he's going to have a martial arts mentor. But as Jordan pointed out earlier this week, there's any number of movies about you know young men learning martial arts. You know, so it's like, I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, like like complaining about needless remakes is sort of like uh, complaining about like crooked politicians or the rain and <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's 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 a, a part of life, but at the same time, it's like yeah. For for the record, let's complain about it. Well, I I don't know why does it have to be a part of life? Like that's you know it, I suppose because it's, there's a built-in audience because you could guarantee it'll cost about like twenty or thirty million dollars to make. You know, there's no crazy special. Well, they're doing effects. it. I mean, they're doing it in China. Labor's cheap there. Right, it's going to cause nothing to make. It's going to make that bag in its opening weekend easy, just because people it, it, it'll just because we're talking about it right now, and which is you know justified. Make you, you know what I mean? That like like it's it's worth doing the remake because people like us will talk about it, and like that's worth it. You know what I mean? I guess maybe they'll go to Comic Con or something, and they'll you know get all this geek buy-in, and all will be forgiven. It would, it would seem like a thankless task trying to like step into Pamarita's shoes. What, what do you uh, actually like on on the subject though of the what little ire we have for remakes? What do you think about like the rapid succession with uh, with which certain things get remade? Like, are you there, talking you, about the comic heard, book movies? That the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The like Punisher they're, they're going to well. In addition to that, they're going to try and once again reboot Superman, and um, and NBC is again trying to reboot their reboot of Knight Rider. Which wow. went for like three episodes, and I think we'll be back again in about a month and a half. So, yeah. so it's 
It's all about risk aversion, guys. I mean, when you think about the money that goes into these productions, it's I can take my chances on something entirely new that I think might work, or, hey, let's do that again, except we'll shine it up a little bit. And, you know, the investors and the studio execs and the network execs are probably, they'll know and remember that show, so let's go with that. I mean... But, I mean, like, won't they also, won't they remember that, like, the recent remake from, like... You know, eighteen and a half minutes ago, uh, tanked completely. <laughs> well, I think I think what you're now getting to is the 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 excessive crazy part of it. But you know, the business end of Hollywood is an awful, nasty, terrible, terrible thing, and that's you know uh, that's the, the business end of most people is a terrible thing. Well, yeah, it's uh, uh, and it's gotten more it's gotten more so right as studios are consolidated and. Uh, you know, bought up by larger corporations, they become still more risk averse because the heads of the studios are answerable to a larger corporate structure and to, um, you know, a board of directors or to shareholders. Yeah. You know, so whereas there used to be independent studios that were only in the business of making movies. Now you have multinational conglomerates that are really in the business of, I don't know, selling all kinds of things. And the movie making is just, you know, the NBC is a small part of what GE, of GE does. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so like 30 rock, I mean, 30 rock made that point. Actually, the point was made on entourage also this year. If anyone still watches entourage, I do. When Dana Gordon was made head of, whatever studio that was after uh, after the guy who played the Greek guy from The Wire died. Um, you know, Ari's old... Yeah, his, his, his foil, his, his nemesis. Right, you know, yeah. I thought we might make it through one podcast without mentioning The Wire, but I was clearly being optimistic. Oh, you know, have I mentioned, Matt, that it's a really great show and you should watch it? What, what Entourage? The Wire. <laughs> no, Entourage <laughs> is not such a great show anymore. There was like nothing. He twitters about the wire constantly. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Blinky loves two things, and it is Twitter and the wire. <laughs> you know, Matt. Twittering I could tell. You know, I... join my Twitter cast. How I love the wire. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, aren't you afraid that you're gonna pissed off all your new internet fans now that you're internet famous? Like, if it gets out that you don't like Twitter, you know, you're sunk, <laughs> my friend. You are sunk. Is is Twitter that popular that like to badmouth Twitter is sort of like like stomping on a kitten? Barack Obama is well used to Twitter. He doesn't Twitter anymore now that he was elected. No, it would be undignified for the president to Twitter. I guess Pre- candidates can Twitter. Presidents do not Twitter. It's the token old. It's the token old guy on this podcast. Is Twitter the thing where you're just like, um, yeah, I just got some orange juice out of the refrigerator thing. Yeah, you and you can do it. You can do it on the web, or you can do it via cell phone or whatever. But it, it okay. has to be citrus-based, yeah. Right, oh. exactly. Yeah, that seems really useful and a wonderful application, and I will check it out shortly. <laughs> <laughs> Al, are you on the, are you on the famous? Are you on the Facebook, Al? Oh hell no! Wow, yeah, but that, you're really old school. We don't, let's not go on a why Al's not on Facebook tangent. Let's, you know, I think we should get back to the topic at hand, which was, which was, <laughs> I don't just, even know what it is anymore. It, it rhymes with witness protection program. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, I think that we are. I think that we are sort of exhausting our. I think we're exhausting our repertoire of things to say about the Karate Kid movies. And why not? Because we have been saying those things 
all week. Any parting shots, Al? You know, how many times have you watched the the Karate Kid? More than I would ever want to admit. If it's on the cable, I will finish watching it. I have all movies. The movies on DVD. They came out with a special edition. I just think, you know, I think it, it's always something that hits a little close to home. You know, my bad hair and Ralph Macchio's bad hair being very alike, notwithstanding. Um, you know, it, there's something about, you know, you mentioned very on at the beginning how, you know, Mr. Miyagi's uh, so appreciated as a character, but, you know, Daniel being the world's kind of lamest protagonist in his, <laughs> in his inability to be cool or his inability to, uh, you know, ever really fit in, uh, his, you know, terrible attempts at, at humor. Um, there's just something about that that I think is, has always appealed to me and certainly, yeah, there wasn't, he didn't turn into like, you know, even, you know, some world beater. He was continually getting his butt kicked throughout the, the series. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, can see ourselves more in that role than, uh, you know, as somebody who wins all the time, but they it, should it, have it, hired it, you Al for that part. <laughs> No, I, you know, I, I would like to think I don't get my butt kicked as often as Daniel does uh, through those three films. But, um, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, Pete probably put it, again, better than I could in terms of it. It hits on some big time themes. Uh, it can sort of encapsulate it in era and time. Uh, it really portrayed, for those of us who know it, a region uh, quite well. And uh, most importantly, it had uh, just damn strong characters, you know, played by, by really good actors. And I think that more than anything is the reason it's lasted so long. Well, let us leave our conversation there. That is a great way to end the week. So uh, if you think anything about anything that we have said, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com or call the voicemail at 20 eat log zero one. That's two Oh three. Two eight five six four zero one, and visit us on the web all the time. Uh, I think. Oh, our next theme week, I think, is going to be Back to the Future week. That's going to come sometime in January. In the meantime, uh, we have some holiday material coming up. There's some epic stuff coming up, and you know we haven't really discussed it. But I plan on, though I'm headed back to Los Angeles for the holidays, I plan on continuing the podcast from out there, and so we shouldn't really have a break. In... But Matt, precisely where in the Los Angeles area will you be podcasting? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you really want to know, I'm going to be podcasting from the corner of uh, 23rd no, Street. No, 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 no. Twitter about it. <laughs> okay. I'll tw- yeah. <laughs> While we're... <laughs> and I'll get, I'll get some orange juice out of the fridge. Um, but no matter where I am, you can find us on www.overthinkingit.com, the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Special thanks to Jordan Stokes for that new theme song. You can email him at stokes, S-T-O-K-E-S, at overthinkingit.com.